Good morning, everyone. It's 11.06 a.m. This is the Chatterbox Video Game Radio Show, and my name is Alon. So we're pre-recording a couple days in advance to make sure that you have a show while I am off in uh, in the tundra of Iceland. Um, do, which, they, do they wake up before 11? They're always sleep? awake because it's never nighttime there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, anyway... Um, we're going to talk about a lot of stuff about Nintendo and about some crazy thing we read about Sony. Yes. Let me tell you, my excitement levels are are maximal in relation to my tiredness levels right now. <laughs> that's, that's an interesting ratio I hadn't considered. Uh, because, because on the absolute scale, it's in the dumps. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that's what happens when we when we cut here in the morning. But you've been up for at least an hour because I've been here for a while. Okay, you got me. That's true. So, all right. I want to start off with Nintendo because I don't want to neglect this, right? There was Nintendo Direct this week. And what is Nintendo Direct? Nintendo Direct is, you know, when they, they talk about stuff. Like Satoru Iwata gets on a video where he's... Incre- I don't know what is the right word. Oh, like, that the little, the little uh, videoy podcasty thingy. Yes, yeah. But so like they did that instead of like an E3 press conference. They did a virtual conference, which was lame. Because he also started off by lying, saying that oh we're in the offices in Kyoto, and I was like it looks kind of green screened. And then later it shows him during the same video, uh, you know, at E3 in LA. Yeah. So they're playing. He, he neglected to mention we're, we're playing in the offices. Well, because he said, I'm pretty sure they implied that it was live like, during the E3 th- or anyway. Yeah, I don't know about that. Anyway, this week was E3. Nintendo talked about their stuff. We yeah. have so far covered Microsoft and Sony. We haven't talked about Nintendo. And here's the thing: the world isn't thinking about Nintendo anymore. Like they have. I wanted to say prematurely, but perhaps it's not premature. Uh, basically forgotten that Nintendo even exists. You all know that I am a big fan. I think there's a lot of potential with the Wii U and with Nintendo stuff in general. Yeah, but we've forgotten because they've forgotten to make good games. Yeah, that's pretty much what happened. They released a system. I I can only assume they decided we're going to release it a year earlier than everybody else so we can get a, a leg up on these things. And he even said, like, Iwata apologized during the video that things haven't been going according to plan in terms of timeline. Let me tell you how much I love how the Japanese will corporately apologize. It it wasn't... I don't know that he used the terms I'm sorry or I apologize, but it was... Okay, then I take it back. It... (laughs) It was some other way of apologizing for the fact that it hasn't gone well. It's like, we appreciate <laughs> your patience enough. as we mm. as we continued. It was something like that. Okay. Uh, yeah, because usually when there's an apology that's accompanied by um, either a uh, quitting or, a, or a harakiri. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, not, not quite that. But it, they did announce a bunch of games, right? So, so let's start by by listing some of those because I think it provides a little bit of insight into their their plan or lack thereof. Um, I actually have a little bit of a special insight from E3. Around Nintendo? Yes. Okay. My friend went to E3. So let me, let me list off the games that, that Nintendo has announced. Now, there are some third-party games, but there are essentially none. So at least no interesting ones. Um, although the Magnificent 101 or whatever it's called, the wonderful, I don't remember, um, is apparently actually going to come out soon. And I think it was originally a launch title, but I want to make a game called Magnificent Wonderful. Okay, let's do it. Here's the list of Nintendo games. Okay, Nintendo branded games. So they're bringing the next Mario Kart, Mario Kart yes. Eight, to the Wii U. We have special dirt on that, but keep going. And of course, it's just more Mario Kart, right? But it's I guess the best version ever, right? They are not making a new Zelda, but they have remastered Wind Waker. In HD and rearranged how you manage Tingle. Oh, that's great. I can't wait to... To play uh, a game that you played 10 years ago. To drive a boat for hours between islands. Oh, that's they did great. say that they have they have rearranged things in the game. <laughs> they said, we don't want to talk about what we did, but there are some changes to to like enhance the gameplay or something. Which I immediately said, 
that means you don't you don't drive around as much or you, or i said that means you go faster right your boat goes faster that would be funny if the whole world was like just all the islands just right next to each other yeah now there's there's also another super smash brothers which i know excites a lot of people but it's going to be the same thing as all the other smash brothers except it'll have mega man and villager from animal crossing um another donkey kong country called tropical freeze which is a bit of a, a paradox but Nonetheless, the next Donkey Kong Country, which sounds like a dessert. They made a big deal about how with today's hardware, like you can look at things from different angles. And so like the, the camera angle changes a lot. Yeah. You could have done that in the one for the Wii as well. But yeah. Well, anyway. now now fish, you know, they're now fish in games can respond to your movements. Yeah. Anyway, I'm sure it'll be fun, but it's going to be the same thing as the last Donkey Kong Country returns. Right. Uh, there is going to be a Pikmin 3 which I personally am excited about. However, I don't expect it to be much different than the other Pikmin games. Uh, there's also Super Mario 3D World, which is the same name as the game that came out last year on the 3DS called Super Mario 3D World, I think. Unless oh it was just Super Mario 3D, but I think it was Super Mario 3D World. My brain is so confused. Yeah. Uh, so this is Super Mario 3D, but on the Wii U, and brings back the character roster from Super Mario Brothers 2 US, where you've got... Peach, Luigi, uh, and Toadstool. And they all have different, like, unique powers. So it's the same thing, basically. The princess floats, Luigi jumps higher. Interesting. Yeah. By the way, you know, um, we haven't talked about this on the show because it's not that big a deal, but New Super Mario Brothers U? Yeah. They're releasing New Super Super Luigi Bros or something? Like, some downloadable content for that, which is also going to be available on disc, like, a month later. Um, which is just Luigi, and you can jump higher, and then new levels and stuff. So That's I don't cool. know how you feel about that. But they're bringing back... Same as I feel about every other DLC. They're trying to make the year of Luigi. But So Super Mario 3D World is Super Mario 3D with those four characters. You can play four players. It's the first 3D Mario game where you can play multiple people simultaneously. And part of me is excited about this. The other part is you still haven't made a genuine Mario game for the Wii U, uh, which... Historically, the last few generations has taken a while for them to release, but right. of all the systems where it was especially important, it was important in all of them because they've all not done very well. Like, the Nintendo 64 did amazingly well in the market. Guess what? They had a Mario game day one, right? GameCube didn't have a Mario game day one. Wii didn't have a Mario game day one. Neither of them did terribly well. That's, well, that's, that's not true. The, the Wii did fantastically, but <laughs> not, not among the crowd that cares about that game. But that was because they had a different shtick. They had a whole new and exciting yeah. shtick that's not as exciting as the Wii U shtick. What happened with the Wii was they planned, we're going to expand the market and get all these new players. What they did was they expanded the market and got all those new players, but all of the players they had previously went away. Right, so they got a different market instead of an expanded market. They would have expanded if they had put Mario and some other stuff. Well, different, right. although much bigger. And then, and then people um, realized all the games were the same, and then that stopped, I guess. Essentially, right? But they, they could have... What they're trying to do is correct for that. For the Wii U, they're releasing all of the things that everybody wants. You get a Zelda, you get a Mario, you get a Donkey Kong, you get a Mario Kart. All of those things, but they're just not doing it right. Like yeah. they're, not, they're not actually producing anything new. They're just rehashing old stuff. And that is super frustrating to me, especially given the fact that the Wii U has such specialized hardware that it's begging for something new. I'm sure that they're acutely aware of this, but it, you, you've only, like, as you describe this, you only remind me how much, how much, like, the stock of things like Zelda and Mario, like, conceptually in my head has just, like, dropped over the years. Like, they just don't... When I hear about a new Mario thing or a new Zelda thing, I'm just not... So I, I'm not excited the way I was, like, back in the 60s. I've gotten days. bored with, with Zelda, personally, because I think it's the same game and it's not that exciting. But Mario's I still love, except lately... They haven't done, like, Super Mario Galaxy 2 was a rehash of Super Mario Galaxy, obviously. And so Super Mario Galaxy was the last new Mario game that they created. Um, meaning, like, it did something that we hadn't seen before. And that's what I loved about Mario. Every world, every level is something fresh and new. Like, yeah. I have Super Mario Brothers U, new Super Mario Brothers U, and I have played partway into the second world, right? Like, I haven't even gone back to it to play past that. And you know what's ironic for me was that that, that Rayman Origins game actually, like, excited me more in a Mario-esque way than most of the Mario games have. Absolutely. And then they didn't release it at launch. 
Like, Nintendo could have persuaded them, not at launch, <laughs> but at least when they finished it in January or February, to release it. And they didn't. And now it's not going to do anything. And the Wii U, it's, they totally killed themselves by not being prepared software-wise. Well, you and know, quality takes time. I suppose. But also, they need to get more third parties on board. Third parties are they're making games for the 360 and the PS3. And the Wii U is just as powerful. Right? They're making games for those systems and opting not to make them for the Wii U. It has nothing to do with power anymore. It's not like, well, the Wii is underpowered. We can't do it. Right? They're just not doing it because there's no market for it. Nintendo needs to step up and be like, we will pay for the marketing of the next Call of Duty. Right? We will do it. You just make the game, and we will market the hell out of it for you. Like, Have some sort of agreement to make it super attractive to release on their system with something fresh and new. Like During the... E3 last year when they showed it off and they showed the, the possibility that you might have a gun peripheral with the screen attached to it so you can walk around, at least turn around and shoot things, right? They, they need that. They need someone to produce it, someone with like some quality pedi- pedigree, not just someone who makes a first-person shooter, but someone who makes good first-person shooters like Activision and all of the people they hire to do that stuff, to do that special thing on the Wii U and sell it to a more mature audience so that that market will exist so that everybody else will make games for the Wii U. And they're, I mean, maybe they're trying and failing, right? I don't know behind the scenes what's actually happening, but I can tell you in the end, they've totally failed, and it pisses me off because I want the thing to succeed because I see a lot of potential in it. And they saw a lot of potential in it, as you can tell from the pitch video in last year's E3. And it hasn't happened. They haven't done dick, and it is frustrating to me. I have a feeling that they're probably more frustrated than you are. Probably. Probably. But get Activision to step up and do something. Anyway. New topic. We'll be right back. Chatterboxers, how much do you love Amazon.com? Since you're like me, the answer is a lot. And since you love Chatterbox almost as much, here's what I want you to do. Next time you get a new game, a pair of socks, downloadable MP3, anything really, go to helpchatterbox.com. It takes you to Amazon, but when you buy something, we get a piece of the action. That's good for us, and Amazon feels good because you didn't buy it from GameStop. Helpchatterbox.com. Remember it. Bookmark it. Tattoo it backwards on your forehead. And yes, all I'm asking you to do is buy stuff you are already going to buy. Just do it at helpchatterbox.com. And we're back. It's Chatterbox Video Game Radio. Uh, Let's not forget... University of Advancing Technology has a website, uat.edu, and you can uh, you can visit that to learn about how to get into the industry. Also, we have a website. Uh, more importantly, our Facebook page, which is uh, slash Chatterbox Video Game Radio. So participate there. There's all sorts of video game discussion going on these days. You know, I what with the E3. I just had an epiphany about our uh, Facebook. Remember. Um, I've been saving. We had a couple of old pieces of audio that some of our listeners made for us. Did one, we? Yeah, one was like a p- crazy promo type thing where the guy took the sound bites of me saying all the ridiculous things that I've said and you chastising me, and that was a lot of fun. I don't know that I remember that. Maybe and I never listened to it, but y- okay. Yeah, I'll I'll show it to you after the show. And then of course, uh, Pen that that beautiful rap Pen made about. Uh, the red star mm-hmm. pen if you're listening let us know if it's cool to put that up but we <laughs> should put that up because i think people will go nuts i think that okay. will be i think that'll be really fun if i could find that audio if you find it for me i have it okay. so um yeah we should totally do that we can post it and uh finally the new graphic that i made like a year ago is, is showing up on, fantastic on itunes it's a bold new era <clears throat> yeah it's so unbranded. It's just it's just a visual logo, man. It doesn't say Chatterbox under it. What's going to happen? Yeah, it's um, it's like Prince or something. Yeah. Anyway, okay. So so your friend was at E3, 
And, and he I, had he had a couple of choice um, observations that uh, I wanted to share. So he was really impressed by the new Mario Kart game. In fact, he was also very. Uh, had he, he al- played it on on the 3ds? Because oh, it it seems like they simply made the 3ds version like full fledged. Um, well, I don't. I can't address that, but I can only address what he told me. And okay. he, apparently, there's. The, a lot of people were going nuts about this game. They were very impressed by it. And by his description, they basically kind of like F-Zero-fied the tracks. And oh, Yeah, they have banked a lot of tracks. Yeah. And, and not just banked, but like vertical and upside down sections, according to him. And there's uh, – he was really impressed by it. He said that um, not only him, but everybody else was basically just going gaga over how cool – the track design was, mm-hmm. which is interesting to hear because you don't hear that very often. Not with respect to Mario Kart, no. And and also, there's he brought up something specifically that uh, is really cool to me. Uh, he was really impressed by how they took advantage of extreme draw distance. And that's been kind of like something that uh, I've, I've been complaining slash hoping for for years is that the, one of the coolest things I think in a racing game is when they take advantage of a very far draw distance and you're able to play while seeing very, very far ahead. And apparently they do this and I don't feel like enough games do it. So uh, that's super cool. So, you know, a lot of, I was going to say a lot of the success, the potential success of Mario Kart. And I don't, I don't know if this is actually true. I might just be wildly speculating, but I I feel like, it has the potential to be much more interesting and be more successful if they do the network properly. Like if they make it possible for someone to bas- basically skirt around Nintendo's BS where like you both have to know about each other in order to, to connect. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, that's always been important for multiplayer. Yeah. You just need to be able to find people and connect and play matches and all that. And the Wii U isn't really built for that. Like you have to say... My friend code is this, and then some. That same person says, "Well, my friend code is this." Yeah, both put it then, in, and then you can see each other. Right, right. So, if they allow the networking properly, which they probably won't, um, then it would work better. Also, this game kind of lends itself to, to the potential for downloadable content later, new tracks and all that. Um, sure. I I also don't know that they'll do that, but uh, but it could. It could be a step in the right direction for Nintendo, like finally taking advantage of the 21st century's offerings. Yeah. There's another game he talked about that is totally worth mentioning. Okay. You ever heard of Dragon's Crown? Uh, are we still on the top of a Nintendo? Well... Or are we switching to the... Is that the Quantic Dream let's thing? Let's see. No, it's, this is no longer Nintendo. This, I think, is coming out on PS3 slash Vita. Yeah, this is the... the th- Wait a minute. The Vanillaware game, it has nothing to do with what you said. Okay. It's by Vanillaware, who made Muramasa and Odin Sphere. And it's very beautiful, and it's like a brawler, and it features a couple of uh, extreme characters. Yeah, I don't know anything about it then. I swear I've seen the name, though. Yeah, you'll, you'll, uh, you'll get a giggle when you watch the trailer afterward. But... I just wanted to remark that they had some videos of gameplay that you can go find. And there's this character in it that's a sorcerer, right? And this is like a brawler, so it's like, okay, let's say it's like Golden Axe style, more or less. And basically her boobs are like the size of her head, like each, okay? Okay. So this is very entertaining. Somebody made a game like that for the PlayStation 2 a long time ago. Um. Yeah, I mean, you know, those are always fun. And... The thing that I, <laughs> the thing that made me chuckle was that I was watching some video from E3 on on in a gameplay demonstration they were doing, and so you were watching this character move around and do her thing, and you know her boobs are like totally out there, and that's really entertaining. Like I said, and here's the funny thing was that I started to I continued to watch, and then I noticed that she has a very peculiar run cycle. Okay, when she runs. She runs by putting, folding her arms above her head like, you know, women who wish to uh, pose seductively and not run often do. Mm -hmm. And that's very sexy when the arms are over the head in that way. 
And uh, but that's how she runs. And so she runs by basically like doing that and then basically sticking her chest out like she needed to to save her life. And I, I was just well, I like, think it's a defensive maneuver to knock things out of the way. Uh, it's just a, it's just a run, dude. It's just a run. But I just remembered looking at that and I'm like, that's a nice touch. That's that's how that's how all video game characters should run. So one, one of head. several characters is this person, or is she a key character? Because well, she's a key of character of several characters. I am, I am watching the trailer now, and I don't see any reference to some woman. She's a I sorcerer. You've got you to gotta find the sorcerer. Uh, there's another one. There's like an Amazon. We are talking about the game by Atlas, right? Yeah. There's an Amazon who's like a very muscular woman. There's, uh, there's a knight that is um, fully armored and just as ridiculously proportioned, but probably will not get as much attention. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, there's also a uh, there's a dwarf like a golden esque dwarf type character. I think I think I see the girl yeah. you're talking about. So why is this exciting to me though? Is 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 it just that one character? Yeah, that... just look at her. That's all. Just okay. look at her. Yeah. Well, does this lead into further discussion from that woman mm. with the weird name who goes I'm sure, on about I'm the sure tropes this will and all upset. that jazz? I'm sure there is plenty of people this will upset. Um, but I can only sit back and smile. No, because nobody actually plays Atlas games. <laughs> Fair enough. Nobody look, who cares about that stuff. Look, anyway. nobody cared about Japanese tentacle porn until uh, and until Ray Play came on the scene, and then a year later, uh, people started getting really upset. So I guess that's true. Okay, so do we have any other insight from your friend who attended E3? No, I have yet to actually fully interview the people who attended E3. But yeah, that's uh, that's it. That's all we got about that. There's okay. okay. There's something. There's a little tidbit I want to also share. Speaking of ridiculous things, remember the game. Remember me. Uh, I do. I watched the trailer for it. I have not actually played it. This this game just came out, and I just think the cover is hilarious. It is weird. It doesn't seem to fit the theme of the game at all. The cover. When I look at the game, and I look at the cover, the game's cover. All I see is remember how my ass looks in these jeans because yeah. because the cover is just the back of a woman, which is the character in the game, and it's like they're framing her ass in jeans because yeah. the logo is like moved so that like you could be insured to get a clear view of her ass proportions. Although although I have to say, um, even though her ass looks quite attractive. Um, it's it's not overly proportioned, overly crazily proportioned. It looks like a regular human butt. Wow, a very attractive human butt, but okay. Okay, um, although this is not to diminish extreme proportions by any degree. And I have to also say that um, this is not the most extreme time something like this has happened. Like Pro- PNO3, remember that game? No. Or Project Number 03. Uh, that was oh, way yeah. more... Yeah, with like the basic, like the gyrating hips character. It's basically the same cover, actually. Yeah, but she, she was more extreme. That was even more overt. Yeah. And then, of course, uh, there was another game a while ago. Remember, I think it was called Kinetica, which uh, I was told people, even people at Sony who made it, basically uh, unofficially named it Nice Ass Racer. Because the whole time, you're basically looking at somebody's nice ass yeah what it's just it's frustrating to me i guess like we're focusing so much on the ass but the point here is that we did we did boobs and now we're doing ass but the the point of note here is that the cover has nothing to do right like yeah you see this character while you're playing because it's a third person game and she's the character you use but but you look at that cover, and it yeah. says nothing. There's a whole lot of subtext It says there. nothing about the game. is all about, like, taking people's memories and using them. And by by what? By memories. dazzling them with your ass? Changing the past, you know, through, like, uh, uh, modifiable memories and all sorts look, of stuff. This, like, could, this could all be accomplished by a highly attractive butt area. No. And it's so strange. Like, the, it just doesn't say anything. Back in the day, I would look for old NES games, right, when I was back in the 8-bit days, right? I would read the back of the box. I would know what the game is about. Nowadays, 
I literally never look at. I try to when I go to a store. I was like, I have no idea. I don't even know yeah. what genre game this is. I have a theory about that actually. Just before break, I was complaining about how box art and boxes in general, front and back, uh, don't say anything about the game. It's not that just you're about that. To buy. It's screenshots. It's like media. A lot of times, it's sometimes it's all media about the game. I don't know. Trailers do a pretty good job of telling me what's going on. Uh, sometimes they, sometimes, I mean, and other times they only do like narratively. It's not universally true. I I get that, right? But. Yeah. When you're looking at, like, the minute and a half trailer of a game, like, I just watched Dragon's Crown yeah. during the last segment, like, I can tell that it's a brawler. Yeah. I can tell there's multiple characters. You, I can tell the setting. You were watching the gameplay, though, right? Yeah, because that, that trailer filled that in, right? You look at the, the, the trailers from E3 for the new systems. Those are more like teasers where they're just sort of like, hey, look, there's a game coming out. Yeah. We'll tell and, you about it later. Yeah. This is... I've been incensed about this for a very long time, and... It seems, I mean, it almost just seems really too obvious to even mention this, but marketers, a lot of times, like, they actually, I don't think they want you to know what the game is about. There's actually, I think there's two possibilities. It's either, it's either that or, and this is what incenses me so much. It's almost as if marketers are so embarrassed or unconfident or they don't believe in the product in and of itself to be able to sell that product by showing you what it is. Instead, it's like they only want to indirectly show you what it could be for fear that if you clearly saw what it was, you wouldn't be as interested. And I hate that. No, I'm. We have talked about this recently as well. That's yeah, I hate true. that so much. Like, just show the thing. Just show it to me. Yeah, I say that all the time. Yeah. All right. So in public with strangers, yeah. we we have a few more things to cover. Um, we can talk about that Sony versus or the PS4 versus Xbox One article if you want. Yeah. What did you uh, do? You want to give a quick summary of that? What did you think about? Okay. That? So. I step into Ara's house, ready to record the show, and he says, hey, read this article. It's a long article about it, – it's not as clear as it could be what it was trying to get across, except that it, it does start off saying none of this stuff is really verified as true. But it it spends some time yeah, this dissecting is... the – sort of not the release of the new systems, but sort of like the preparation of the release by Sony and Microsoft. Yeah, this is on GamerHorizon.com, by the yeah. way. Is it GamerHorizon or GameHorizon? GamerHorizon. All right, GamerHorizon.com. And uh, so it talks about how it may be the case that Sony intentionally, covertly messed with Microsoft to screw up the Xbox One. Basically, to get them to think that they were doing DRM so that Microsoft would do DRM, which has pissed everybody off, to get them to think that they were not going to be as powerful as they were and then last minute change the internals of the system or at least announce the internals of the system such that Microsoft would have to catch up and suddenly put more expensive components in, get them to think that they were going to charge more uh, than they really were, and then Microsoft comes out costing more than Sony, stuff like that. Um, One interesting thing they pointed out uh, at the very beginning of the article was this concept of the third console curse, which I had never considered. And I'd like to think of myself as astute, as normally noticing these things. But uh, apparently there's a history of big, you know, platform manufacturers screwing up their third console because they basically get too, too confident that they can change the market and they're not or, or just not follow the needs of the consumers. Without foreknowledge of this, I completely feel like that's what Microsoft is doing. They, I just, they're, I, they're just so greedy, it seems. They've, they have gotten super confident with the fact that 
Xbox Live is so much better put together than everybody else and that they had success versus Sony in this generation. Yeah. That they are trying to push some things. And, I mean, I think Apple is the example where this works. Like, they push people in the direction they want to push people in, and it happens. They change things. Like, they were the first ones to get rid of the floppy disk drive and... We batted an eyelash at first, and then everyone's like, yeah, that's great. They're the first ones to get rid of, well, like, all together, just be like, all right, no more optical drives. And, re- and no more connectors. Just, oh, wait. Yeah. They, they, make, they make all sorts of changes, and they're pushing everyone else forward. And I think Microsoft... Sometimes backward. Microsoft thinks, well, we're just as big as Apple, or we should be. Like, we should do that, too. Yeah. And they just... I mean, time will tell if they succeed. Well, it's such a seductive idea. I mean, in a very, very time minuscule way i don't blame them because it's very seductive because if you can move that market where you want it to the potential i mean your potential is so unbounded but people i mean just like well we i mean we can see it happening now just with all of the the thing is you have to do you have to do more than make a change you have to do something that benefits the consumer as well you can't you can't just push you can't just not yet not yet, guys. Maybe in 20 years, but you can't just make consumers do anything you want them to do. Yeah, you can't take away functionality or you have to change the focus. So like with Microsoft, you know what? Before, before we go into this, I want to talk about this third console curse and the history of it. All right. right? So let's look at Nintendo. They had the Nintendo Entertainment System. Then they had the Super Nintendo, right. which everyone loved. Right. And then they released a Nintendo 64. This one, not as big as a, of a flop as these other examples are going to be, but... Um, the reference to Nintendo was that they didn't go with CD. They stuck with cartridge because they were like, well, no, cartridges work for us. Right. Of so course. that was so that's a different reason than why it seems like uh, Microsoft has an uphill battle this time. Yeah. So let's let's move on. Uh, Sega had the Sega Master System. Then they had the Genesis Mega Drive yeah. and all the weird add-ons for it. And then they had the Sega Saturn, which was overpriced. Yeah. No why, good like, games. No, I, I basically can't fathom flopped. why they did that. All right. Uh, it could have been much better without such a ridiculous price. That's absolutely true. Yeah, it was way too much. I don't remember. What is it? Four hundred dollars when everything was else was two hundred. Four or five. It was in. It was in this crazy. I think ter- it was four. It was in crazy territory. Yeah. And then they make the Dreamcast afterwards that people like, although it was just strangely timed. But yeah, um, everyone liked it. So then uh, let's look at Sony. They had obviously the one, two, and the three. The three was overpriced. Um, the whole thing with the cell processor, or whatever. Like it was. They were charging too much. Two different versions of too much. Right. And so now they're correcting on the back end. Of the and they didn't four. They didn't have good enough games at the start either. They had a big struggle with that. Also true. So now Microsoft had the one, which was good. The Well, not the one. The, the original Xbox. Yeah. And then the 360, which is fantastic, although it broke a lot. But they took care of that. Sort of. And then now the Xbox One or Xbox Three... They're making all of these changes, sort of demanding that, that the troops follow. And... You look at it this way, they they basically, well, whether or not they were the ones focusing on it, the world was focusing on the DRM, they didn't make a big enough deal about the fact that you don't have to get up, like, everything is in that system, it follows you, if you take that system somewhere else, you don't have to bring your library of games, they weren't, they were presenting this whole TV in a box thing, focusing on the thing that people don't care about, right, they, it's a video game system, that's what we want, so they're trying to shift Focus to something else. Look at this other stuff that it does and look at our new ecosystem, right? Yeah. They need to focus on the advantage to the user within the user's expectations, not shift expectations. And so they need to focus on the utility of the gaming and the quality of the gaming. Then they can talk about this other stuff or at least not focus solely on the other things. Breaking expectations in a bad way is never good. I talk about this in other parts of my life all the time. Um, you need to break expectations in a good way. Hey, look, you never even need a disc anymore, except the first time you pop it in, right? Oh, yeah, we have to have DRM on the backside to make that possible, but that's not what they did. That's certainly not what the world focused on. (laughs) So anyway, then this article comes out, and it sort of pieces together things that, you know, the author gets from all over the place, whether he has friends on the inside or reads Reddit threads or whatever. He sort of puts this whole thing together saying it looks like Sony was kind of conniving and intentionally got Microsoft to do stuff they they shouldn't have done by by basically like publicly announcing things early so that Microsoft would think that okay this is what Sony's doing and then Sony basically yeah specifically they had a patent gears. they had a DRM patent that came out like last year yeah. which implied if you read through the lines be like oh well PlayStation 4 is going to have all this crazy DRM in it cuz they're talking about this so Microsoft picks that up and goes that direction i don't know if that's enough 
for it's, them to completely change. It's kind of a stretch. It's a really seductive idea. I'm sure all the Alex Jones people will love this piece. Yeah. I, I think, honestly, it's less what this article is, rec- is suggesting and more of this third console thing where the company is too contented. Like, they're, they're too... Yeah. They're, they're just feeling too good about themselves. They're just they getting too greedy. I mean, that's... that's it happen- This has happened in human life since time immemorial right i mean some you get really successful and you get your your heads big and you start to realize what you can actually do and you start to think that you can do things that actually you can't do basically they're trying to be apple in every way they can and this is the one field where apple doesn't exist so like (laughs) oh well we really can be apple and it's i don't I don't know, man. There's a lot of backlash. But on the other hand, I also think that this backlash is only known by people like like us, right? Most of the world is not a super game news nerd. There is there is a certain um, philosophy out there uh, in, in this new age of uh, people complaining about everything on the internet where, especially in business, and, and I'm not really sure... I'm not really sure how much stock to put in this, but basically, you know, some friends that I've had that who are who are in the in the games business on the business side uh, have basically indicated to me that you know, you know, we like, we talk, we like to talk about a lot when like a game comes out and a lot of people complain and then the games get like that game gets crap reviews or something, right? And there is a certain attitude, especially amongst business people, that like a certain amount of the internet is just actually just immaterial. And it actually really means nothing. It's just a very small group of people who have been able in that small space to become very, very loud. Yeah. Well, I think that's absolutely true because when you have a wide field of, of people, you're you're going to upset some of them. And some of them are just prone to complaining, no and, matter yeah. what the topic. And some of them, um, are, their lives are so filled with important things that um, they have nothing better to do than to complain as vociferously as possible and on, on all corners of the internet. Yeah, it all depends where it's coming from. Like if, yeah. if there's a thread on Reddit with people complaining, I don't care. If the mommy bloggers get a hold of it and say, I don't want to buy the Xbox. <laughs> right? If, if there was a widespread mommy blogger complaint about the Xbox One and how they're not going to, to participate in that, which is weird. It's not something they would talk about. But if they did, that would show like it's hitting mainstream, not just yeah, it's the a, Reddit it's a tough It's a tough call though, right? Because complaining is free. But participating, participating in an economy is not free. And, of course, you know, it's always, I mean, you, you've heard about people. You can say you can boycott something, but that doesn't Boycotts mean you're don't actually work. boycotting well, And then, yeah, and then we'll let you say. So. We'll be right back. Are you going to find a Master of Science program in technology that creates thinkers who understand how business works and how to apply the technology? Where else are you going to discover a graduate degree in technology that is customized to meet your objectives? Where else in the Valley, on campus or online, can you study at the only private university that gives you the opportunity to focus in specialized areas like network security, artificial life programming, and game studies, as well as technology management? Where else? Where else but the University of Advancing Technology? UAT's graduate technology program is accelerated. It combines business with technology. It offers the flexibility to adapt quickly to changes that come in high-tech fields. Feed your brain. Lead. Manage. You won't find this innovative environment anywhere else. UAT, the select private university where you'll be fully immersed in technology. The experience is unrivaled. Click UAT.edu. That's UAT.edu. And we're back once again. It's Shatterbox Video Game Radio. Right before break, I said I said that boycotts don't work. 
I just want to clarify that. Why would you want to clarify that? I, that sounds beautiful. Boycotts can work. They have worked in American history. The problem is that everyone gets that idea, and they're like, oh, we're going to boycott. Let's make a change.org petition, right? To you boycott, have to actually whatever. boycott. That's the problem with yeah. the boycott. The problem is getting everyone to participate. It, like, that's what a boycott A boycott isn't just you doing it. Right, yeah. I boycott Chick Fil A because I hate the gays. And you can't boycott for one them. day because that doesn't do anything. That's yeah. that's slacktivism at its finest. Yeah, you have to actually get people in a large group. And the problem is that there's so many people in today's society that even if you get a large group to boycott, you're, the company is still making money off of all the other people who aren't boycotting. You know what? And there's always an other side. Chick-fil-A is the perfect example. Yeah. A lot of people boycott them. Well, yeah. they have a free speech day, and everybody goes and actually purchases from them on purpose to be like, well, they had a free speech. I like that. Yeah. Right? And I don't hate the gays either, so I'm going to buy that, their food. It's the anti-boycott. Yeah. Buy more yeah. to make up for the boycott. It's very difficult in today's connected to society, connected and polarized society society to have an effective boycott i'm going to boycott mcdonald's today <laughs> just today yeah that'll really kick him in how the wonderfully slacktivist of you yes <laughs> you say all right um, tomorrow i'm buying four quarter pounders you know what i'm not going to i'll be really hungry I, I am not going to boycott mention of uat.edu the website for the university of advancing technology please go go take a look at them uh we we do have a few few more things I got two E3 tidbits. Two left. E3 tidbits. Okay. Yes. Shoot. So, there's this guy. His name's Don Matrick. He's like the president of the Xbox division. I'm big not sure guy, if I have that right. But he's, he's, yeah, he's a big Microsoft guy. And uh, it, it only to incense you all further because nobody is upset enough. Oh, I know what you're going to say. Okay. There's a really beautiful quote. In this interview, I'll just say what he said. He's talking about 360 and the always on the new Xbox One, right? Yep. With the, with the got to have an internet connection. Intrusive that thing. They are still they are still playing this line that is like I'm just shocked because I feel like it's so untenable and it makes no sense. It's like telling people that the sky is green. And they're still harping on it. So he's like, some of the advantages you get, he's talking about the Xbox One, of having a box that is designed to use an online state, so that, uh, to me, is the future-proof choice. And I think people could have arguably gone the other way if we didn't do it. And fortunately, we have a product for people who aren't able to get some form of connectivity. It's called the Xbox 360. Yes. It's that product that we are going to completely abandon the minute the new Xbox comes out. It's it's ridiculous that people say, oh, we've got this other thing you can do. I kind of feel bad for him because it just this indicates to me that he's like he's like on some other planet. Do, do you know the history of this video clip? It came out, but it wasn't even supposed to air. So, like, Spike TV had some some audio problem with whatever they were airing really? at the time. And then so they just cut to some other footage they had. So it's an interview oh. with Jeff Keighley and this guy. And the, the clip doesn't even recognize it as Jeff Keighley. They just say a reporter. And uh, so they cut to this clip. And then relatively quickly, they cut away from it again and just never show it again. <laughs> it's like it wasn't wasn't even supposed to air. It probably... I mean, it's funny because a lot of times when, like, people get interviewed like this, there's a lot of stuff that they do that they record that they don't show. Yeah. And it's supposed to be usually the stuff that's not interesting or not as good or maybe uh, they said something stupid and that would be really bad to put on air or show everybody. Yeah, this is the really stupid thing. And, and yeah, I mean. But I've, I've heard it repeated elsewhere. Yeah. So I don't know if they're pulling this line in multiple places or if maybe people are just harping on this one iteration of, of this stupid thing. But it's. It's ridiculous because as someone who's in the games industry, he should recognize that previous systems are completely abandoned very quickly. Not to mention, when you look into perpetuity, like when they release their next system, if this is the future-proof solution, the next one's going to be the same way. And at that point, you won't have an offline solution. It's Yeah, it just it just smacks of the same – like it's like the same attitude they had before, which is like, oh, everything's online now. What's the big deal? Ha, ha, ha. And of course, we all know that we're not fooled because – 
Just because other things are online doesn't mean that everything should be online. Things that are online need to be online for specific functional reasons. Yeah. No, like I've been saying for the longest time. Not just because other things are. Yeah. You and I both say this. Like they – it's good to add functionality, right? That's fine. Don't take it away. They could just as easily authorize through disk instead of through internet, yeah. and then they would be exactly the same as now. You wouldn't be playing online games because you're not online, so who cares? But the disk-based games that you have could authorize through disk. And the only bad thing that could happen with that is that two people play simultaneously. If I buy it and I authorize through the internet, and then I don't use my disk again, but I give you my disk, then you use it only offline. Now two people are playing your game with only one license. Oh, no. Right? But not 20. Yeah. Not an unlimited number. It's a maximum of two. Because as soon as you get rid of the disc, you can't play it anymore. And as well, soon as somebody else puts it online, I can't play it anymore. Sounds like they're just going to continue to to roll that giant boulder up that hill. And um, What they need to do is produce compelling online it. content. I said this, actually, to a friend of mine, and he disagreed. He's like, not, you shouldn't just be forced as a developer to design online content. I was like, no, no. But plenty of people have the opportunity to develop compelling online content so that I want to be online, so that I don't, therefore, want to be offline. And I'm put in a position where I'm playing these these online games and using the online components that that act as DRM without actually be being DRM. That's how they need to do it. And then, God forbid, I give the disc to somebody who's offline and let him play the offline only version of the game for a while, even though he hasn't bought it. Who cares, right? That's what they need yeah. to accept: disc authorization. Or My, Microsoft is the kind of company who would just as well like believe that like single player games won't exist anymore because there's not enough of a market for them. Yeah, that's also silly. <laughs> that's how. That's the feeling I get. Okay, I got some good dirt though. My favorite story from E3 I've been saving. You know about the Ouya? Do we, do we know how this is pronounced yet? Ouya? I call it Ouya. Ouya. Okay, I'll call it Ouya. So a funny little thing happened. There is, as you may or may not know, a parking lot next to the convention center at E3. Yeah. In fact, there are many parking People lots. People will often often set up shop there so that even though you don't if you don't have E3 credentials, you can still go see video game stuff. Yes. Now, there is there has been a history of companies renting out uh, some parking lot area around E3 to show off their stuff for whatever reason they do not uh, buy area in the E3. Yeah, well, it was like Saints Row Third did a uh, did a car wash with all sorts of nice cars, and you could get your car washed for free. And it was like bikini car wash. Yeah, the t-shirts that um, said "We love rim jobs." Remember, remember God God Games or Gathering of Developers God? Like they used to have stuff out. And anyway, you know, it's like um, it happens. Okay, so it happened this year too. Oh yeah, I, I oh yeah, whatever. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Rented out this parking lot, and uh, something funny happened. The We all know the ESA, yeah? Yeah. Uh, the ESA, how would you characterize the ESA? I, I don't really have any characterization except they make sure we have – no, ESRB is the rating system. Right. Does ESA – control a rating system uh no, ESA, a totally different board no they're just like a i i feel like now they are a cabal of corporate uh interest okay in the video game industry all the big corporations are members of the esa and what did the esa do because i guess the esa really doesn't like the idea of somebody setting up a booth and not uh, paying their protection fee of being inside E3 grounds. Oh, yeah, ESA runs E3. Oh, yeah, that could be that part. That might explain something of this. So what does the ESA do? They rented out parking spaces adjacent to the OUYA display area. In fact, between the OUYA people and the convention center itself, in order to park a large semi there and block the view physically from E3 goers, it gets better. How how did Ouya rent the space without also renting the edge space? Look, Ouya people are smart because in response to this, what they did in retaliation, the Ouya people, was then rented uh, additional spaces 
that were yet in between this new semi truck and the E3 uh, convention area. And that's where they put all their signage. Okay, I'm very confused by this. Okay, look, look. So, look, there's OUYA display, and then there's E3 on the other side, okay? So, ESA pissed, they bring in the trailer so nobody can see that there's an OUYA display there. So, OUYA pissed in retaliation, and then rents. There's more area in between that trailer That's the thing. I and can't E3. believe that ESA would have rented the space yeah. and then look, left additional you, area. You have to work your way up to the nuclear option, okay? <laughs> now... So, so they were like, okay, well, so they like basically undid everything the ESA tried to do by physically blocking them, by basically moving their signs into a more visible area. And now the ESA is even more pissed. So what do they do? They called the police because what? that's because that's what you do when there's nothing left to do. You call what the, do police, the police. Have to do with anything? And they're like it's private property. Yeah. Well, apparently, uh, I don't know. It was just like this move of desperation, and the police went there and they talked to the Uya people, and they're like, mm, "Yes, it seems like your permits are completely in order. So let's take some pictures posing with the Uya T-shirts, and uh, everybody's smiling except for people in the ESA, but they're not in that picture anyway. So who cares? And uh, go Uya. Okay, that's weird. Yeah. I didn't know any of this. It's fantastic. I love it. All right. Well, in other news, I'm going to mention very quickly, I had the um, the luxury of visiting the Twitter offices this week in San Francisco while everybody else was at E3. Uh, I actually visited a lot of different companies, but just um, wanted to mention Twitter has a full-blown Dance Dance Revolution Supernova 2 machine in one of their break rooms, and, I was, and now I want to work for Twitter. So... They had a lot of other really cool reasons to work there, by the way. So if you guys, but none of those matters. A company to work for. They had Skee Ball right next to DDR Supernova Two, and uh, yeah, I got a picture of that. I'm just, I'm jealous because I don't work there. I could, I could break my back every single week. Did I tell that story on the air about how I couldn't walk for a week because I played DDR? Uh, Probably. I think so. Anyway, uh, we'll be back next week with another show, and then I will personally be back in two weeks. See you later. Goodbye, guys. You've been listening to Chatterbox Video Game Radio. Tune in next week for more tips and info and the latest and greatest in video gaming. And remember, all your base are belong to us.